You are listening to Biblical Appalachia, a podcast dedicated to biblically examining church life, ministry, culture, traditions, and folklore of the Appalachian Mountains. This is Biblical Appalachia. My name's Nick. My name's Kyle. And we are your host. On this episode of Biblical Appalachia, we will be discussing when natural disasters hit mountain towns. The small towns of Appalachia are not immune to disasters. Coal mining accidents, forest fires, earthquakes, blizzards, and floods have all been known to devastate mountain communities. One recent disaster is the Haywood County flood of 2021. During the month of August of that year, Tropical Storm Fred unloaded more than 14 inches of rain during 12 hours. Of these 14 inches, eight fell in two to three hours at the headwaters of the Pigeon River, causing a flash flood that claimed the lives of six people, damaging 563 homes and decimating the town of Canton and its surrounding communities. One community that saw the most devastation was the community of Crusoe. In this episode, we're sitting down to speak with Mark Tice. Mark is the pastor of East Fort Baptist Church in Crusoe. Mark lived through the flood and had to pastor a congregation and community deeply affected by this disaster. We're going to discuss with Mark the impact of the flood upon his community and church, as well as hopefully glean some advice for leaders on how to lead during a disaster. All right. Hey, Mark, welcome to uh, our podcast. Uh, how you doing? <laughs> well, I'm well, Nick. Thank you. And thank you for having me, guys. I've enjoyed um, enjoyed catching up with the podcast. And I have, I have a confession to make. I skipped snake handling. You got to go back and listen to snake handling. I'm not a snake handler. I'm not either, but I thought the discussion was great. You know, oddly enough, and this is what I was telling Jeff and the guys, um, other pastors in the county, um, our most listened to episode thus far is the episode we did on the types of people that live in Appalachia. Oh. And I have been told you are a wannabe I'm in wannabe. those categories. You're a wannabe because wannabe. you're not from here originally. I'm not. I'm not. I'm from northeastern Pennsylvania, I'm right underneath the New York line, um, farming community. But if that's outside of Appalachia, right? Because Appalachia yeah, Mountains is, actually gets is. in the fence, but you're north of Appalachia. Um, yeah. Okay. We 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 miss it. So okay. I got here as quick as I could. Right. Thirty years ago, I got to be grafted in by now. Well, we'll claim you. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, man, tell us, uh, tell us about the Crusoe community in East Fork Baptist Church, where you pastor and where you live. Well, it's a it's a very unique community, as in there's pretty much one way in and out. Um, we're backed up against the Blue Ridge Parkway, and uh, we're an unincorporated community of about 1,300 people. And, and so you really have to be intending to come to Crusoe. Either you're passing through to go to the, the Parkway or Brevard, or you're not coming at all. Right. And so um, very tight-knit community. Um, we're seeing a lot of, lot of influx from uh, since COVID from around the country moving in. But, uh, but for the most part, generationally there in a valley, um, as I said, one main road going through it, everything else is, is pretty much private roads as they, as they work around the hills. And so and just so the listeners know, we're in Haywood County, Western North Carolina, and the two main or well, three main towns would be Waynesville, Canton, Maggie Valley. Crusoe would be a community outside of Canton. That's right. On the very, yeah. very south end of Haywood County, if you were to look on the map, we're just all the way down there at the bottom. It might be a higher elevation, but we're. But basically, the Blue Ridge Parkway separates Crusoe from Transylvania County. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Which is close to Mount Pisgah, the Cradle mm -hmm. of Forestry, all that stuff. Just so people kind of have yeah. a 
point of reference, but the East Fork of the Pigeon River runs through Crusoe. Correct. Okay. All right. Yeah. And then Kyle, of course, you grew up in Canton. I did. So we're all talking here about home for you. All right. So you pastor East Fort Baptist, which is the not the only church in Crusoe. It's not. But it's, probably the largest church in Crusoe. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was established in 1874. It was a church plant from another missionary Baptist church. Uh, there was a need. Um, traveling 10 miles by horse in 1874 really wasn't um, that great of a thing in, in that day. And so anyhow, there was uh, God impressed upon 13 people to start and uh, this work and has, has successfully um, been a gospel witness for the Lord for 149 years. Wow. How long have you been the pastor there? Seven. Seven years. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Um, so, and the church sits basically right on the river it does. or creek. I call it a creek. Yeah. It's not a river to me, but <laughs> it's a big creek. It's a very big and, creek. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're blessed. Um, we'll of course talk about the perils in just a second, but sure. it's, uh, we live in one of the most gorgeous places in the world. And, and, um, we have a, you know, thankfully it's, it's returning to its pristine condition that the East Fork of the, the Pigeon River is, is one of the cleanest, mm -hmm. um, Haywood County. I don't know if everybody's familiar with this Haywood County, all the water flows out of Haywood County. That's it right. originates and flows out of. And and so we we've I've been telling people this as I work with other recovery efforts that um well we're kind of the headwaters. And um Yeah, people don't realize there is no water that flows into this county. No. Did you know that? Like it all starts here and flows out. Nothing comes in. It's really an interesting type of it county is. when it comes to the waterways. Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. It is, yes. So speaking of water mm. and waterways. <laughs> so the flood. Of yes. 2021. Um, walk us through that day oh, as goodness. a pack because you also live in the parsonage right next to the church. Yes. So you're there in the yeah. community. Yeah. All right. Walk us through that day because Crusoe definitely by far was the most impacted. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think the six people who lost their lives all lived in Crusoe, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. all within a mile probably of the church. Um, right. All within a mile radius. Um, to have an understanding of, of, as we progress through this conversation, sure. the the community is a very resilient community. COVID didn't really affect it. We continued on. Everybody continued on with their daily lives. We never stopped church. We just went outside. I stood in front of a John Deere tractor for several weeks while they just elevated me in the air. Um, we finally built a platform. But so it's a very resilient blue collar community mm -hmm. and um, people love the Lord and they're they're just faithful and they, they continue on. And so August 17th, 2021, uh, we had a an, uh, an alert given to us by emergency management system saying there's possibility of flooding. And, and some of them actually reached out personally and said, hey, this is not like anything we've ever seen before. And midday, I looked at my wife. We, we homeschool our kids and, and said, uh, we need to run to the library. Let's just go ahead and do it now mm -hmm. at about noon, one o'clock. And we went and the discussion was had about whether the river was going to leave its banks. We kind of took a look at it. and We thought, no, we're OK. And uh, so we were in Waynesville at the library when um, everything broke loose, um, when the microburst sat over top of, of Shining Rock and, and when what had pooled up or dammed up in the Shining Rock wilderness broke free and finally came down the valley. And so um, as, as these things were happening and the microburst began, um, that's just putting down a lot of rain. And now geographically speaking, had it been 
uh, a quarter mile one way or the other, it would have missed us and it would have sent it down into Transylvania County. Right. And so this was just a perfect storm. It was a trifecta. We had a lot of rain mm -hmm. and then we had at the very head of the river, um, a big 12 foot culvert that had dammed up and it created a lake behind it. And so this microburst puts down all this rain and everything breaks free and uh, the water makes its way uh, down through the valley. And then of course, eventually to Canton. So and what point did the, cause there was also a landslide right past the church. Mm -hmm. When did the landslide, when, after the, the burst and the rain, when did the landslide? The landslide, they, they were all almost simultaneous. Okay. However, the largest part of the water had come down through the river. Um, at, or else it would have washed most of the landslide away. But right. most, of the river, most of the water had come down. So it wasn't a slow rise. So what we looked at at the river during the day was something we were used to. Right. We, we were used to seeing it reach kind of the top of the banks. Uh, but what came after that, that wall of water that took, you know, a hundred campers and several homes and, and of course six people with it, yeah. that was, that was instant. That was something, you know, nobody could, nobody could plan for to get out of the way of. And mm -hmm. so had this happened at night, the casualty level would have been so much higher. Absolutely. Yeah. It would have been through the roof. So we were, we were in town and I began to get phone calls and they're phone calls you never want to hear because there are people screaming, there are people crying and, um, uh, you know, we're, we're watching water come into the church. We're watching this, that, and so on and so forth. But I get one phone call and says, we've lost two people out of the campground. And, and I said, we'll find them. And, and I didn't know what they were talking about. Right. And they said, no, pastor, you don't understand. They're gone. And the campground is just right. A quarter mile, a quarter mile. That's where right. I live okay. in the church. Yep. And so then it became a reality that something horrid was happening. Yeah. And, um, and so two more phone calls. Then we decided we got to find a way to get home. Um, they had begun blocking off streets in Canton and, and, uh, Bethel. And, and we really got ourselves in a pickle, had to drive all the way around Waynesville. And so we could come down 276. and, 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 um, I had a, I had a friend with a, um, with a response crew that was, that was there. He came and retrieved me at the red light because they wouldn't let anybody in. The road was compromised. Houses were gone. People were missing. No power, no cell phone service. Um, it was just, it was, it was pretty much the worst imaginable few hours you could think of or, or a couple of days. Given the land structure around Crusoe, the mountains are so sharp and so high that radios often don't travel very well in between the mountains. So if you're in a valley and I'm in a different valley, oftentimes they're not communicating. Right. And, and so you're without... Uh, you're without communication, you're without power, um, and, and uh, Swiftwater Rescue and all those have started making their way up there by then. And, um, and so that night, um, we began looking, began looking for those that were missing. We didn't know how many were missing. People, people were at work that didn't know and couldn't get home, couldn't respond to family. And so we just began looking and um, uh, we just mobilized. I don't, I don't know any other way to say it. Roads were blocked. So we, I took some fish and wildlife and, uh, they were fish and wildlife officers and, uh, one other, I don't, I can't remember if it's fire department or what, but I took them over a mountain and around just to get them to a connecting road. So we could, we yep. could go do welfare checks. Um, 
I don't know. I I skipped over a lot. We don't have all day, and yeah, and there is yeah. there is a lot to go on with there. Uh, give a shout out to Crusoe Fire Department. They did a a couple rescues that were just in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, the landslide was happening. Uh, there were that was an Airbnb that was it was taken in that landslide, and they were basically pulling that family out of a window as the mountain was coming down. And then um, yet another family down by Burnett Cove um, in a tree. Yeah. As the waters were trying to wash them away, and, and well, I when it was opened up, I was a disaster relief chaplain, mm. and I went in. Me and two, uh, and for our listeners, Southern Baptists, we we do disaster relief. Uh, guys in yellow shirts, yellow hats, mm-hmm. Baptist on mission. Yep. All right, so I went in to one part of the community called Hidden Valley. This was days after this is when they first let it, everybody come back in. And I remember one family told me a situation like that similar. A dad and a son had to crawl out of the window, hold on to a tree. And as they were holding on to the tree, the river just took their house away. I mean, and it was gone. All that was left was the foundation. I'm sitting there with this family and they're just crying, but thankful that they survived. I mean, but that's how they survived. They crawled out onto the tree, water just takes the house away and swift water rescue, rubber boat engine, comes up and gets them and yeah. gets them to land. I mean, and there's probably untold oh, the yes. number of stories. Yes. You know, of rescues like mm. that. Yeah. It, it really is. I mean, it's tragic that six people lost their lives. Absolutely. But I, I'm like you. I really think if it had happened at nighttime, there's no telling how many people would have died. But also if it wasn't for the quick response of community residents yeah. and just people who volunteer at the fire department, things like that. Mm-hmm. They saved a lot of people. They did. Yeah. They did. And and by the time we were ready to go go looking and do doing welfare checks at dark, um, those guys those guys were exhausted. And and so it was a, it was a relief for them for us to stand up and say, hey, we're gonna go do sure. we're gonna knock on doors until about one a.m. And that's what we did. And um, and and it was it was very interesting because as as you stated, um, my house sits the house we live in sits right next to the church. Church had about four feet of water go through it. Um, the neighbor's house that is is on the other side of my house, he had a few feet of water in his basement, and yet we had very little enter into our crawl space. Mm. And when you look at um, the fire department across the road, even looks at a higher elevation, and they had um, they had mud in their floor. And so that day when you're out, mm. uh, you and your wife, you had to be worried. That your house was going well, yeah. I told to her. I mean, so it's the church. Because the parsonage, yeah. it's higher than the church, but it not is, that much. It's higher. not. Yeah. It's not. There's no. There's no logical reason, and I can show you a progression of pictures. There was a car in the parking lot of the church, and someone took a progression of pictures from the fire department. That car sitting there. The car moved right in front of the church, and then the car was gone. Mm-hmm. So that's the force of water that came down two seventy six, um, and so. By all rights, I told I told my wife, I said, you know, of course, you know, my storage building in the back, my zero-turn lawnmower, all that'll be gone. I said, my truck was in the driveway. It's probably gone. You've got to understand this is going to be okay. You know, we're just going to deal with it and um, just get it in your head that life's going to be different. And and um, when we pulled into the driveway, there was a maybe a, a four-inch diameter log behind the wheels of my truck. Wow. And then there was a ring around the house of debris. Right. And so that... Um, obviously, I mean, I don't know the elevations of the three buildings, the fire department, my neighbor's house and my house, but, um, 
Um, we could look at the elevation and say that was it, but either way, God allowed uh, me to stay in my house mm -hmm. for every moment of the recovery, and I believe that was important. So how did it affect this? I mean, that's the day you walked us through all that, but how mm -hmm. just the immediate effect on your church did did you have members who lost their homes? Were the six who perished, were they attenders or members of your church? I know you knew them. Yep. Yeah. Well, two, two were like, um, they, they were as if they were a great aunt and uncle to me. Uh -huh. Um, uh, Frank and Charlene Mungo, they, now they were residents of the campground. Um, and they were very faithful, very loving, um, godly people that had given their life to service of the Lord. Um, and then others, others, we knew Jack Prolek, we knew him, but he didn't, he didn't attend. And, and, um, uh, Franklin McKenzie lived just up the road and, and was cleaning out his, his stormwater drain, um, when the landslide happened and, and that took him. And then, um, yeah. And, and just looking at even Frank Lauer, um, his wife attended regularly and, and probably one of the hardest things I had to do was preach that next Sunday morning with her looking out the car window at me and why we preached. And that was, that was pretty tough. After to she just, somebody, after she just watched her husband get washed away. He was trying to move a truck. Yes. And the river took him. And so, um, you know, uh, we were able to, like I said, the, the blessing was we were able to be there to minister to right. him. Um, Judy, um, Judy chose to stay. She had COVID and she didn't want to go to the rally point of the campground. She didn't want to give anybody his COVID and, and she was, she was swept away. And, and that was kind of caring person. She was, she kind of came in and out of the church a little bit. So, wow. um, yeah. So looking at all those, Jack Prolak was trying to get his wife in the car and get the car moved and a camper come by and hit him and took him. And, um, yeah, tough stuff, but, uh, God gave abundant grace through it all. How did it affect the church? Well, the first four days after the flood, um, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't see many people from the church. Um, because we have these amazing people that make up the community that were on their equipment. They were on tractors and, and sure. dozers and, and tracos, and they were building bridges. They were getting people out. And and so on Saturday after the flood, I um, I knew I was, I received a call from somebody that does disaster relief and said, you're in trouble with your building. If you have mud in it, you're in trouble. You've been four days, you're gonna grow mold if you don't do something. And so that sprang us into action. And I actually went and bought two tons of lime. It was in the back of my truck and I backed up to the, the building and I was just going to spread the lime everywhere to stop mold growth or anything mm -hmm. like that. And, and a couple people seen what I was doing. One was a pastor of a church. Another one was the deacon of another church. And then a, a church member of mine. And they said, don't do that. That means we just got to get all that out of there. And so the Saturday after the flood flood happened on a Tuesday, the Saturday after the flood, well over a hundred people, came. We didn't announce a work day. We didn't tell anybody, but well over a hundred people made their way into the church and they completely gutted the church and got all the mud out of it. And, um, that cleared the way for us to have church Sunday morning in the parking lot, standing in the mud, um, was definitely needed in that yeah, time. True. So affecting the church though, long-term, short-term and long-term, it didn't. Yeah. Um, if anything, it, it increased resiliency. Um, we never stopped having church. Um, uh, Pastor Stephen Bison, he he reached out and said, "What can I do for you?" And I said, "The only thing I need is a tent." And he said, I, I'll, "I'll buy you a tent." Mm -hmm. And and they bought a tent, and his church bought a tent. And um, Pastor John Swanger said, "Hey, we got chairs and stage and all this." And and so we we just got a um, a tent set up and 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 did church outside until the the cold and the rain got to us. 
at yep. the end of October. And then we slipped back in the building. So you had to get to work on the building. We did. We did. Yeah. And and that happened in stages. Um, trying to be mindful of time. But that sure. happened in stages. Sure. First stage, get the mud out. If any of you ever have to go through disaster relief, it's most important to get the mud out. Absolutely. And uh, all the soft materials, um, no matter how much you think you can save wood, you can't. If it's been sitting in floodwaters. It's going to be tore out. Those floodwaters yeah. wash septic systems, Absolutely. cow pastures, everything mm -hmm. else into that church. And so... Um, so I, thankfully our structure was built in the late fifties, early sixties. So it's all block and concrete underneath the soft materials. So all the floors are concrete, all the walls are block. And we were able to strip everything out of there. We did a mud out first week. The next week we came back in and we brushed down all of the, all of the, the, the mud that had dried. And um, mind you, we still had functioning air conditioning systems. Mm -hmm. We had a, a pastor from across the mountain paid to have all six of them set back up and fixed to be run. So you're hitting on something there too. And it was something we want to talk about the response and you hit on the response of the community, mountain people, resilient, yeah. getting to work, yeah. helping one another out, just being neighbors. Right. right. But what was the response of other churches? Oh. I know you're hitting on that. Oh, it was phenomenal. Yeah. It, was, it was phenomenal. And I got a lot to fit in here. So sure. day one immediately, um, a local Italian restaurant sent up, they sent up just pans and pans of lasagna and spaghetti, right? And, and, but what followed that, I thought, well, this is interesting. But what followed that was a couple local churches in Canton who had the resources showed up in great number with truckloads of, of things. Mm -hmm. And they said, what do you need? And they asked that. And of course, in that moment, you don't know what you need. You really don't. You take a breath and you think, I looked at people and I said, I need to find six people. Yeah, you know, I don't need a tarp. I need that. Yeah. Need people. So, um, yeah, as they poured in, it was amazing just to see God's people in action. And you know, James spoke about this and um, get all biblical on you, right? And so he said, you, you don't if if you don't have any actions with your words, your your faith is dead. That's right, right. And and even John wrote to us and said not to just love in word, but but also in deed. And, and so to watch the hands and feet of Jesus come in, in the form of not only disaster relief, but churches that were willing to come up and cook. Mm -hmm. um, had one man pull in the parking lot with three pieces of equipment of the church parking lot. And he said, you know, he's gonna clean the parking lot up. And, and I was thinking, this is no time for me to be taken for a ride. And so I said, why don't you come down off that machine and let's, um, let's have a cup of coffee. And, and he, he very respectfully said, Pastor, I didn't come here to drink coffee. And they cleaned our whole property up, all the big stuff, loaded up and left, wouldn't even let me give them a tax receipt. Wow. And so anyways, so we had all these churches pouring in. They made meals. They took shifts and all these, um, the, these beautiful display of caring for the community. Um, people from as far as Crabtree. Yeah. That end of the county all the way. Well, I know the we, we were county. having yeah. supplies sent here yep. as far as two hours away folks yeah. coming to volunteer. We were having, um, I know just for our local association, if I'm not mistaken, there were even people sending money as far as New York Ooh, yeah. To, yeah. to help out with the yes. situation. Of course you had all the search and rescue teams, uh, fire departments, EMTs from Mecklenburg County, Charlotte, all over coming to help search and help. And then of course the disaster relief, uh, Samaritan's Purse, all these different people, organizations coming in to help. Yeah. It was it was something to see. It really was how fast people mobilized to help. 
Yeah. And if I could emphasize this for anybody that might ever go through or, or if you're teetering on the thought of supporting disaster relief, um, there were two churches that were highly affected in Crusoe by the flood. Mm-hmm. There's the smaller Church of Christ up the road from us and, um, and then us. Um, there was a member of the Church of Christ that came to me, and, and I'm not speaking negatively about the church or anything, but she came to me at a total loss, and she said, who do we call? And we were standing in, in my lawn in a bunch of debris, and I looked at her and I said, we are the people you call in times like this. If um, the government's not going to always bail you out, they're not sure. always going to fix everything, um, but you can count on God's people uh, to always step up and meet the need. And for those that would ever question, is it worth it? It is worth it. Yeah, It is worth it for every plastic spoon that we had to use. Right. Um, every tarp that was used for five days and then ripped and thrown away, it was worth it. Right. Every bit of it, every dollar, nothing was wasted. And so if I can speak to really quick on the recovery of the church, I know we're, yeah, we're short that. on time. Yeah, how exactly has your church recovered? Oh my where, where are you at now? So, this is, um, I feel like I was along for the ride. So everybody said, how did you drive this? Well, I didn't. I never asked for a dollar. Right. And um, people have rebuked me for that and said, you have not because you asked not, but we have. <laughs> and um, and we have. We were, so there was a total of about $430,000 in one way or another that was donated to the church, whether somebody bought things mm-hmm. or whether they gave us money. And we, we were in turn able to send out about 65000 of that back out into helping people put down payments on houses and things of that nature. Um, so stop there. You were given money and then y'all put out from your church 65000 to help people. Mm-hmm. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. You were helped and then you turned around. But, you yeah. know, it's, it's like while, the old saying. While we were. We weren't done. Yeah. We just got it back out. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's it's like the old saying, you know, blessed to be a blessing. I've oh, yes. heard folks yeah, say yeah. that. Yeah, and that's it. That's oh, it. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. That's great. And so um, church, inside of the church, completely back together and, um, um, God provided in amazing ways, and uh, we have some work to do in a parking lot. Um, that's going to be a, a big ticket item, but but thankfully God restored a, a place of, of worship, and um, and has allowed us just to just to continue on with the gospel centered ministry there in the center of Crusoe, and um, and that was due to um, I have a list of every donor and every dollar that was given, mm. and and they ranged from checks from uh, fifty thousand dollars. From private donors and churches all the way to um, the classic, and this is the truth, widow woman in a small mountain church that walked up to her pastor and gave him $3 because that's all she had. Yeah. That's something. After after it's all said and done now, mm-hmm. here we are two years ahead. Um, what did you learn? If, there, uh, if there's one thing, because here's the thing. <laughs> in, in mountain towns, yeah. disasters happen. They do. Right? They do. And so you're you're not the first and you're definitely not the last pastor to lead a church and to be there in a community. What what could you, what advice would you give to any pastor or church? Be present. Um, This I know. And if, if you're not built for it, don't, don't, uh, don't do that yourself, do that to yourself. But I believe God has equipped who he's called. And, um, and, and there are times I've had chaplaincy training and disaster relief training and did it through, um, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association sure. for, so I could work with the, the police department. But in a lot of that, I was, I was taught how we needed as chaplains to go home and process and, and get that stuff out. You can't let things accumulate. Right. And so what I had to learn night one after looking for those people is I had to sit down and, and talk with the Lord and pray and ask him just to, to purge the fears. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't worried about the building. We were worried about people. Right. Sure. And yeah. so, so, but the days following on, I know this is a hot, hot word right now and sometimes gets used in bad um, or, or loose circles, but process. What I learned every night I had to do was I, I tried to be the last person when the last of the responders went to go home at night. I would walk across the street from the fire department to my house and I would sit on the front porch and or the front doorstep and, and I would spend about a half an hour processing every prayer that I prayed with people that day, every conversation I had. Um, anytime I just had to hold somebody that's crying, yeah. you know, um, that's, that's so vitally important because we don't like to deal with our emotions. Right. And so I'd sit down and not deal with everybody else. God helped me deal with them. Mm-hmm. And so there's just a sustaining grace that God will give you in the midst of that. Secondly is be transparent in everything you do. So every dime that was donated to the church was put in a separate fund, completely transparent. We had a business meeting every Wednesday night during the rebuilding. That would, that panics most pastors. We never had a fight, never had an argument, never had anything, uh, no upset, nothing bad there. So be, be transparent. Um, be transparent with the community. Let them know you're hurting too. Love them. And, um, and then finally just be present. Yeah. Yeah. There's not words that you can say to somebody when they come into town to identify their two parents that just got washed away in a flood. There's no words to say to them, mm-hmm. but you can exercise that ministry of presence. Yeah, they, they won't remember what you said, no. but they'll remember you being there. That's right. Yeah, that's it. Well, buddy, thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, it Absolutely. was a great time. Um, just a great conversation. Uh, I know it was a horrible time to go through a disaster like that uh, right after COVID mm-hmm. with yeah. everything going on yeah. in the world <laughs> and, and all of that. But, but seeing you and the way you led so well, um, we were praying for you and just grateful for your ministry and leadership. Um, God had you there by design, not by accident. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful thing to see how he used you during that time. Yeah. God be glorified. So thanks a lot, man, for coming on well, and talking thank with you. us. What a privilege. We'd like to thank you for listening to Biblical Appalachia. If you would like to hear more content like this in the future, we would encourage you to give us a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on our Facebook page, Biblical Appalachia. Thank you. Mm